One of the most common ones with brand strategy or getting to a creative brief is the four C's where you think about what the consumer truth, competitive truth, slash category truth, and then cultural truth and company truth. And you put them on a slide or on a di- in, a, in some kind of diagram and you're trying to work out the thread between them to get to some kind of strategy. What's up, branding experts? Arakira Ibek Zang. And welcome to On Branding Podcast, the only podcast where I interview branding experts to give you actionable tips on everything branding and beyond. And in this episode, I interview Mark Pollard, and we talk about brand strategy framework. And Mark is a strategist, speaker, and writer, born in Sydney and living in New York. And Mark has spoken at Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity, and he's focused on helping people who think for a living live, which means he trains strategists. So he has trained strategists all over the world, and he runs the community and podcast Sweathead. And Mark uh, has also contributed to tens of publications, including Vice, Words, Wharton's Future of Advertising, and the Society of Digital agency's report and Mark uh, runs his strategic firm Mighty Jungle under which he has worked with clients like The Economist, Facebook, Twitter, The Wall Street Journal, Mozilla, Euronews, just to name a few. So Mark also recently published his book Strategies Your Words and this is the book we are going to talk about today. Hello Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on our podcast. Greetings, thank you very much for having me. Thanks. So in the first half of your book, you go into the words that strategists use in their heads. Uh, words like imposter syndrome, lone wolf, truth, clarity, empathy, and so on. And in the second half, you feature some of your go-to strategy techniques and tools that you use. So I wanted to make this um, podcast actionable and talk about your four-point strategy framework, okay? Mm -hmm. So in your book, you give a warning about frameworks and you say, quote, strategies are addicted to frameworks and the side effects of frameworks can be deadly, end quote. So Basically, you say that frameworks can actually scare some people out of thinking, but they are here not to just prevent us from thinking, but to help us start thinking, right? So can you speak to that a bit? What's the problem with using frameworks and how we should approach using them? Frameworks are great. They're, they're fine. I mean, you can break anything down in life, anything that exists in the world into some kind of structure, some kind of pattern, some kind of category or set of categories. It's, it's fine. It's just that I think with strategy work, sometimes people think it's really, really important and fancy and expensive work and that the main job is just to fill in the framework and to do so without actually thinking very much. And not to be mean, but every now and then I look at some of the Twitter and social media presences of some of the boss uh, of some of the management consulting companies, and they do this. They'll have some framework like Pestel or a SWOT or whatever it is, and the language used, it, it's like a 10-year-old did it. Um, and and doesn't it, just because it fits in a framework doesn't mean that it's insightful. It doesn't mean that it's useful. So that's the, that's the main risk, that the framework is there to potentially frame your work, but you still need to do the work rather than treating a framework like you're just filling in some kind of form and then you send it off and you get your grade. And that's the main issue that I see. Right. So, so a framework is not just a, like a questionnaire where, where we just fill in the answers. It's, it's more about... Uh, to encourage us and encourage the thinking happen, right? Uh, 
and and just help us solve lack of thinking and and, and just start that thinking right yeah yeah uh, so okay so I'll give um, you an example. I'll, I'll give you yeah. an example. So, for example, yeah. in, in storytelling, people talk about a story needs a beginning, a middle, and an end. That is a kind of framework. And if you put that into a diagram on a page and then designed it so that it looks like to fill in, it's a framework that says beginning, that the hero wakes up and goes about their day. And then in the middle, some bad stuff happens. And then at the end, they win and they come back and they're okay and there's a new routine set. That's just not very interesting. It might be correct and accurate as far as a lot of storytelling structures go. But you're not telling a story. There's no depth in there. There's nothing specific or unique in that answer to the framework. Right. Right. So since we know about you know, um, how to approach strategy framework, uh, it's just to help us start thinking, encourage that thinking happen. So... Can we talk about the four-point strategy framework now? So basically, um, this framework stands on, stands on four points, right? So it's mm -hmm. self-explanatory. So those four points are problem, insights, advantage, and strategy. And mm -hmm. each point is a sentence that, sentence that stands on an idea, right? And you talk about ideas quite a lot in your book. Mm -hmm. um, so each idea needs to emit from the same team, right? So it's all connected. Those four points are connected around the same team. So can you just give us like a quick overview of your brand strategy framework? And then we're just going to dive into uh, each part and talk a bit, a bit more uh, you know, uh, about details. Yeah, sure. So it's called the four points, which is a really straightforward name. And there's jargon in this. I explain my jargon. And the point is to not use this in a really dogmatic way, but for it to be a technique or a set of techniques that are available to you as you think. And it's not to say to avoid all the other techniques. I mean, one of the most common ones with brand strategy or getting to a creative brief is the four C's, where you think about what the con consumer truth, competitive truth, slash category truth, and then cultural truth and company truth. And you put them on a slide or, or on a in, a, in some kind of diagram and you're trying to work out the thread between them to get to some kind of strategy. So mm -hmm. the four points is complementary to anything that's out there. But what, what I'm trying to do is encourage people to try to solve problems. That's first and foremost. So at the top of the four points is the word problem. And what I look for is the human problem behind the business problem. Again, there's some jargon in there that I'm aware of, but essentially what is the obstacle or the barrier in people's minds, potentially the criticism of this brand or of this product that's preventing them from wanting it or from buying it. Right. What's going on in their heads that's in the way of them doing something or buying it? Because also it's not always about a product or a brand. It could be about a social issue or you could actually use some of these techniques on your own uh, self-talk, for example. And then, an and then insight in the four points is an unspoken human truth that sheds new light on the problem. So I'm looking for a sentence as a strong provocative problem statement and then the insight will open it up. So essentially that's like the second paragraph of a one page essay. But here's the thing about this problem, boom, and whatever comes next is hopefully some kind of insight. The insight and the advantage, they clash together. The advantage is just another way of saying what's unique and motivating about a brand based on the features and functions of it that are relatively unique and that combine in a relatively unique way and then strategy 
in the four points is at the bottom. So you've got a problem at the top, you've got insight and advantage below that that come together. They clash together to get to a solution or a strategy. So the strategy right. solves the problem by colliding the insight and advantage together. And the strategy is essentially, this is vague, but it's a new way of looking at your brand based on all of these things. So that the strategy statement tries to solve the problem through some kind of intelligence, some kind of insight that is also relevant to what the brand and the product are about. Right, so that's clear hopefully for our listeners. So, um, so I just wanted to talk a bit ab ab about how to use your four point strategy framework. So basically we, we start with identifying the issue, which is the problem, right? And then we conduct some stakeholder interviews, uh, gather some uh, customer service, sales calls, reports, uh, digest online reviews, read expert opinions and so on, and write everything down. And we can run this uh, multiple times and have competing versions for one project, right? Yeah, totally, totally. And the thing is, it's hard to explain this in a way that doesn't assume a bunch of existing understanding right because some of these words like i said it's the, the jargon and as i've taken this thinking beyond people who've got a few years of strategy experience under their belts it's it can be a bit confusing uh, but the thing is we can break it down in really simple ways and the thing is just just think about if you if you like beer or wine or i don't know what you're into cheese or a hamburger or a pizza um, or potentially if you don't like those things or you don't like a type of them, just think about why you don't like that thing. So for example, when I talk to people about IPA beers, often they'll say, I don't drink IPA beers because they're filling. So IPA beers, a filling could be a problem in the way that I use the four points. So the word filling is kind of interesting. It's not marketing speak. I've heard it before. So I would push into that as a problem you know why do you think it's filling what's wrong with it being filling is there a time when feeling uh, full is okay or are there times when feeling full are really not okay but you push into it and you ask why is that the problem what's causing it what's causing it because you're trying to get to the root cause but the 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 point of this this particular framework at least is to get to something that's very plain english that could be something or a set of words that you might actually use in regular conversation. And that would probably look quite unusual in a business presentation, at least in most business presentations that I've seen. So I just wanted to make sure that we don't lose people because the way to use these things is actually through quite simple language. It's just that in explaining it, there are quite a few topics that are assumed or, or that we assume some kind of understanding of to even get to something that's trying to encourage people to write four sentences. Right, right. So, so, so since we have a, like an overview of, of the framework and its components, now let's talk about each part in more detail and perhaps we can give us some examples so that we can understand the concept behind it, right? Um, I think the, the framework is pretty straightforward, you know, uh, it may seem complicated, but you give a lot of examples in your book. So let's talk about the problem first, right? So um, we start with the problem, as you said, is a human problem behind the business problem. So the business problem could be something like, for example, you give this example with New York Knicks, the New York Knicks, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and the business problem is that, you know, the, they don't, the, the ticket sales are down. So that's the business issue. And now the human problem behind that issue is that fans are hate supporting the team. So they're angry. So they basically, they don't want to come, they, wanna, they don't want to buy tickets and, and come watch them because they never win. Um, so can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so 
again, the four points, it also assumes not only a general understanding of some of the basic concepts of marketing and advertising, but it also assumes on a, on a given project that you're able to talk about and identify a business issue, a simple business issue, right? So for the New York Knicks example, the business issue there is that season ticket sales are down. And this is hypothetical. It's just made up and it's a bit of a joke. And then you need to think about the audience. Well, who would we sell season tickets to? Who, who's, who's most likely to buy season tickets and or who or what kind of customer might have the longest lifetime value? So there has to be some kind of thinking and research there to identify who to chase. In the example that I like to use, I call out this audience of people that I will call the holdouts. They're people who love New York. They love the New York Knicks, but New York and the New York Knicks, well, the New York Knicks has a reputation for not doing very well for a very long time. And the owner seems to be only interested in money. And it's almost as if, and we see this in a few different sports, but it's almost as if the uh, sports team is trying to become success independent, as in they'll make money even if they're not successful on the court, which you can't do in all sports, in all markets. Like you need to be successful to have people to turn up in some places. Manhattan or New York might be a bit different. So before we even get to the four points itself, there's a little bit of a wrestle trying to understand what the business issue is, although this one's straightforward, season ticket sales are down. And then there's an identification of an audience, which we'll call the holdouts, people who are likely to buy season tickets. They've potentially held them before and they're just waiting for the Knicks to come good before they spend any money. And I'm not saying that that's the right audience. It's just that this is a hypothetical technique or a hypothetical example. And uh, it, it's it's one way to get into it. And so, yeah, you do your, you do your research and you talk to people. You, you look at what people are putting on YouTube and then you identify this this. Uh, problem as being that the fans the new york fans the holdouts the new york knicks fans the holdouts are hate I, the new york knicks holdouts uh hate supporting the team as in they're supporting it but they really resent it and you see a lot of people talking the people who've been talking about how much they love new york and how much they love the knicks but also how much they can't stand watching them for years so that's where we start right okay so um and then you give a lot of different tools to identify those problems, right? So uh, you talk about um, tools like SWOT analysis, dump a problem, winning happens high, uh, the problem behind the problem, the five whys, and so on. So what's your like? What's your favorite technique? Uh, can you just give us some um, uh, tips on how to identify those problems? Yeah, they're they're all just trying to get your your toys, your Lego, your puzzle pieces out onto a table and then you get to reassemble them in interesting ways. And all of the techniques are trying to get you to think about things you don't usually think about. So a SWOT, which looks at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats uh, is a very common and it's a framework that you'd probably learn in the first week or two of business school. It's trying to get you to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are and then what's happening in the outside world that could be an opportunity or could be a threat, things that you might not have thought about recently just to make sure that you are thinking beyond your assumptions and the easy things to discuss. Uh, and then there are other techniques like the five whys from Toyota or the problem behind the problem one where you're essentially taking a problem as you see it in a very shallow way and you're trying to get to a root cause and you're doing that by asking why. So really, why is the main technique here? So, you know, if you look at the idea that people are not, all these holdouts are not supporting the team or not buying season tickets, you go, why? 
well, they don't want to spend money with the New York Knicks. Why? The New York Knicks haven't been doing well. So what? Why would that prevent them from buying a ticket? You said they're loyal, right? Oh, well, they resent the owner. Why? Because he just seems to be about money. So, so what? What's that got to do with anything? You know, so you continue, you're just having this long back and forth question and answer to try to get to a deeper root cause or to a root cause of the problem. So you're not just solving a symptom, something that might repeat itself. Uh, and uh, when you don't actually tackle the thing at the heart of the issue. Right. Great. So I think it's a great example. So hopefully uh, our listeners can understand the concept. So once we have an idea on about how to identify the problem and we've, uh, we've tried maybe some different tools um, that you go into real details in your book. So the next step would be to, uh, to uh, draw some insights, right? So, um, you, you say, quote, an, uh, an insight is an unspoken human truth that sheds a new light on that problem, right? So, and you talk, uh, so he, so it's all about revelations, uh, confessions, some inner voices that people have in, in, in their minds and secrets. And you talk about lateral thoughts here, right? So, um, and about putting together things that usually don't belong to, uh, together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, f- and you give another example here. For example, I haven't achieved enough to go both. So you're combining achievement and hair loss in one sentence and one insight. So can you talk a bit more about that? What are insights and, uh, and how to draw insights? Yeah, it's so in, insights to me, the simplest definition I've heard in, in advertising work is an insight is an unspoken human truth. And then people have other definitions, but also they might add on to that sentence. And it could be an unspoken human truth that unlocks business growth or something like this. There are sort of more businessy definitions as well. What I'm really looking for here is a sentence that brings topics together in unusual ways that helps me understand the problem in a new way in with new light and that hits me in the gut and gives me butterflies and makes me maybe nervous or feel a bit awkward or giggle or feel like I've heard someone confess something to me. And I think one of the fastest ways for somebody to understand what an insight is, is through their own life experience. And so if you think about something that you've come across, a sentence, a phrase that you've come across in the past year or two that's changed how you see the world and potentially because of that change, you've then changed how you've behaved, you're going to get close to an insight. One of the examples that often comes to mind when I think of insights is through a gentleman called Alain de Botton. And philosophy, psychology, all, all these uh, fields are very, very good for trying to understand this on a personal level. And I think it's powerful to understand it on a personal level before you understand it on a business level. But there's a, a philosopher and writer over in the UK called Alain de Botton. And he wrote something about how romanticism ruined marriage. And he talks about how that we've created this idealistic issue but dynamic when we look at marriage about how we're supposed to commit to one person for life we're supposed to solve all our needs through that one person and it's just not realistic and so the sentence there is romanticism it's something like this romanticism has ruined marriage 
you've got romanticism and the idea of ruining marriage, these two topics coming together in a way that might help you see the world in a new way and see you yourself in a new way. And then what an insight does to me is it helps you or pushes you to change how you live. You reorganize your life because of an insight. And so that might mean that you put less pressure on your marriage, for example, or you stop trying to solve all your emotional, psychological, social, physical, whatever it is, needs through one person. So that's an, that's an example of, of what an insight might mean outside of a brief. But for the New York Knicks in that example, I'm looking at the words hate supporting. I'm thinking about anger and yeah. how people love the team, but they really don't like supporting it. They don't want to give the money. And so the insight that I've written for that, and I don't think it's mind blowing, but often I like to share work as I'm doing it just to be like, here's where I'm at with it. What do you think? But there's an insight there that, that you know, there's, there's definitely a trait in New York that you put up with it until you snap. Yeah. Right. And so that there's a tension and a connection between the problem statement and the, and the insight. And you're hoping that people would see themselves in the insight because if it leads to some kind of advertising campaign, you're hoping that the insight travels into the work. It's not just in a framework and on a creative brief. Now we are going to take a quick break here, but we will be right back. Listen, my mission is to help people design iconic brands. So whether you're a business leader who wants to be more intentional with branding and all of its aspects, or you are a creative who wants to attract powerful clients and truly be able to help them with branding, then you need to start with a discovery session and then develop a strategy that will inform all your creative work. And everything you need to learn how to do that, you can find in my online courses at ebegdesign.com forward slash shop, where I share with you my worksheets, case studies, video tutorials, and other additional resources to help you feel safe and strong about your process. And now let's get back to our conversation with Mark Pollard. Right, right. So people can see human, they, they can see themselves in that brand, right? Okay, so uh, the next step would be advantage. And, and so here we want to express what makes us better than other products or services, right? So basically, we take this, uh, um, the problem and the insight, and we develop some, we think about what's the advantage to our buyers. Um, mm -hmm. So we, what's unique and motivating about that product or service in audience's mind. Uh, so what we can do is we can interview people and ask them, why did you buy it? How do you use it? What's best about this product or service? Um, so uh, the example for, for the New York Knicks is um, the New York Knicks are designed to make people angry. So that's the advantage. So can you just talk and you give also Again, you know, there is a lot of tools in the book, like the, the pyramid of advantage, the benefit ladder, the product world, the decision funnel, path to purchase, reason to believe. So you give a lot of tools and, and techniques on how to um, find that advantage. But can you just uh, give us an overview and perhaps some tips uh, on how to find that advantage? Yeah, you again, it's really important to point out what you pointed out that you're trying to do this through the audience or the customer slash consumer's mind and what this is trying to push for because there's, there's there's nothing necessarily novel about the four points i'm not claiming it is it's just how i like to work and i, I enjoy it and it's helps me get where i need to go and fight through all the noise and, and the jargon and the bureaucracy but the advantage is really just it's a sentence that summarizes an argument for the key features and functions of a product or a brand and 
that makes sense to the customer based on what they are usually drawn to, right? So if I can get out of the New York Knicks, I've never actually done this with the marriage example, but let's see. Let's say your business <laughs> issue is that you're not happy in your marriage. Let's say that's the mm-hmm. business issue. The audience is you, <laughs> potentially the other person or the couple, but let's say it's you and you're unhappy in your marriage and you state the problem as, um, you know, I, I'm not, my marriage isn't meeting all my needs. And then you, you probably dig into that. You know, I think the way that I use the four points, I would push a little deeper. Uh, well, why isn't it meeting your needs and what's going on there? And we'd, we'd push that around for a while. But then the advantage could be when we look at the word needs that the, I don't know what the actual advantage statement would be. And it's funny when I do this stuff on the fly because I don't know what's going to come out, which is why I'm talking right now to buy myself some time. <laughs> but, uh, but essentially what that strategy could try to get to and the advantage is to talk about marriage in a slightly different way, meeting, yeah. meeting needs that you need met, but not all your needs. Like I said, it's a bit risky to do this stuff on the fly, but it's one sentence that summarizes the features that make the most sense and that are the most compelling to the audience, which could be yourself if you're using the four points on yourself and what's going on in your head, or it could be in the New York Knicks example, the holdout. So the New York Knicks are designed to make people angry. Why? The tickets are expensive. It seems like you need to be a celebrity or a Wall Streeter to get near the court. They never look like they try to win. The coaches have not been successful. They've traded players like Jeremy Lin that we've loved. There have been arguments and fights between former players and the owner. There was a guy that went viral on Twitter about a year and a half ago, a former player yelling at the owner because a lot of people want the owner to sell it. Uh, But these little points are, are sort of support points for the argument that the New York Knicks are designed to make people angry. And this is a joke example. So it would be silly to take the New York Knicks example seriously, but that's how you would use the advantage. Right. Okay. So, uh, so once we have that, so the next step and the last step is the strategy, which is basically a strategy statement, right? So you combine the insight with the advantage to create a plan on how to solve that problem. So now, there are many misconceptions about what strategy is and what is not. And in your book, you say, quote, strategy is an informed opinion on how to win. But some people think of uh, strategy as something like, uh, our strategy is to launch more products on Amazon or create more videos or appear on at trade shows. But these are tactics, not strategy, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and strategy precedes tactics so tactics make strategy happen and that's what you talk about in your book and uh, so can you speak to that uh, and perhaps give us some examples of what strategy is and what is not yeah so strategy is an informed opinion about how to win the only thing controversial there is admitting that's an opinion you know, I feel like a lot of people grandstand with their strategy documents and their 100 slides. Here's our strategy. We are capable of predicting the future. We're not just guessing, uh, but it's really bringing the idea of information and opinion together. A strategy is an argument about what needs to happen. And that means that when you lay it down in a sentence or so, because a strategy is sometimes used that, that, those two words are strategy or the strategy. For me, it typically means what's the idea in a sentence that's going to solve the problem based on understanding the business issue and the product and the audience and your competition. But there's some kind of organizing idea in the strategy. 
Now, for others, the strategy means 100 slides of a plan that we're going to do. So the strategy could mean an organizing idea that leads to all the actions and tasks and tactics. But for some people, that actually means the strategy plan. And so it's really it's kind of confusing just to talk about the word strategy. The New York Knicks example is we'll show that the New York Knicks are the best anger management in town. The word best is weak, but we're bringing the New York Knicks and anger management together. For those of you who are familiar with writing creative briefs, what I like about having a strategy statement like that on a creative brief is it's not trying to be a slogan. It's not trying to do the work of the creative department. When you work with a creative department, and if you do, you have to work out how to work with them, which might mean that you need to recalibrate what you do. So for some creative departments, the idea of what I've just said, the New York Knicks are the best anger management in town, that might be, quote unquote, too much of an idea. Usually we would then go to some kind of, on a creative brief, a key message or a single-minded proposition. And I'm just boiling that down to, the, to a handful of words that I would expect the advertising campaign or the creative work to honor. You know, as best as possible. And if they come up with ideas that are way better than the brief, that's fine. But it's a stake in the ground, this creative brief. And it's trying to help us be more effective and also work in a more efficient manner. It's those two things together. And so I would take the idea of anger and I would, as a writer, I would play with it. Well, okay, is there a kind of anger that the New York Knicks are involved with? Well, there's definitely a kind of New York anger. We know that. Okay, so anger, New York anger. The New York Knicks do something to New York anger. We think of verbs and we try to find a strong verb. Uh, and so the verb cure comes to mind. Now, this is a joke strategy, but I could see a campaign and a whole bunch of work that could come off the idea that the New York Knicks cure New York anger. And what that strategy would try to do is to say, hey, look, we know we make you angry, so let's embrace it. Come to a game, right. scream, scream your lungs out. We'll make you even like angrier. We'll, we'll behave like a pantomime and our CEO will come out and say all these mean things about loving money and hating winning and you'll just get anger, angry, 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 angry. Get it out of your system and then go home. So that's where that's trying to go. Right. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I, I can imagine that. So hopefully our listeners can relate to that too. Um, so, so as I said, so in, in this example, uh, there are different ways to write down that uh, strategy statement. And one of those is show that X is Y, as in this example, right? Show that New York Knicks are the best anger management in town. And uh, again, here you talk about different tools like USB, unique selling proposition, uh, brand essence. So brand essence for, for that example would be the, the New York anger management or purpose statement to exist to help New York deal with anger issues. Right, so, um, uh, and you also talk uh, in this part of your book that you, you give, uh, for example, uh, you say, it, you give examples of, you know, wrong statements or something like using too many adjectives like deliciously nutritious or something, right? So you, you just make a point here that you should rather focus on using nouns like anger in this example and verbs like cure rather than just adjectives, you know, and uh, as you said, trying to make it uh, like a tagline, like deliciously nutritious, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because typically you work with the creative department if you're in an advertising agency. I mean, at, at some point, 
and I'm assuming the context is advertising, at some point your strategy is going to reach a copywriter and an art director and they need a word or two to work with. That's it. You know, and it could be, maybe it's more than that. And maybe you have to justify it with many, many, many words, but it's typically a word or two will lead to the, to the campaign idea and the quote unquote execution. And so what this tech, what, what this series of techniques is trying to do is to encourage a thread throughout the thinking problem inside a vanity strategy, four sentences there. We want some kind of thread, some kind of theme. That would then go into a single minor proposition. That would then go into an idea. So the New York Knicks example, quick idea is shouted out. That's what we're going to call the campaign. I'm not saying it's good, but that's what we're going to call it. And the idea in a sentence is we're going to take basketball to the angriest street corners of New York and see if we can make them less angry through basketball. That's what that idea is. Then we get into what the TV ad might be. Uh, but there could be a tactic where, for example, we take the faces of the players, we blow them up really big, and whoever you're most angry at, you can throw the ball at them. And in a perfect world, maybe that player doesn't get to play the following weekend or in the following game. But the point is that within, I don't know how many sentences that was, seven or eight sentences, we've, we've got a thread going through it. And by having a thread, we can honor the work that we do and ensure that what comes after the strategy is actually connected to the strategy. And also it can work in a more efficient way where if you go into a meeting and you're presenting 50 different slides of things you could do with no idea and the client says, I don't like that or I don't get it, then you don't just go back to the office and come up with another 50 slides of stuff. You're like, hang on, well, what don't you like about it? You like the strategy, right? You like the insight, right? Okay, great. So we'll just focus on, in that particular situation, you probably need a campaign idea. There wasn't that stake in the ground. So there's something about, uh, this is not a pure uh, methodology. And it, you know, the, even the word methodology is a bit heavy for me, but it's not to be a purist about any of this. It's just to say that having a thread and having, Bring a theme is can push us to better and clearer and more provocative thinking and better ways of working with each other. Right. So some of my takeaways, uh, some some of the conclusions. Um, strategy is a journey in search of meaning. Uh, when you do strategy, you make meaning from mess. Um, but to seek meaning is to question meaning. I talk a lot about meaning in in, in the first part of your book. Um, so. You need to get clarity on that meaning and to, you need to do so in short series of simple words, as you said, right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be hundreds of slides. Uh, you need to get this down to, uh, you need to be very good at words. Uh, and that's basically the premise of your book. To get good at strategy, you must get good at words first. So in strategy, words are all that matter. And, and that's basically the title of your book, right? Strategy is your words. So. Um, as we are approaching the end of our episode, please let us know how we can find more about you and the work you do and how to get in touch with you, either for designers who want to learn more about uh, your work or uh, people who want to work with you. So I will include all those links in the description. Yeah, look, people can find the book and the, I have 100 strategy classes up on sweathead.com, www.sweathead.com. And you can follow me at Mark Pollard on Twitter and Instagram. And I post little techniques and quotes from interviews that I do in those places as well. 
I'm, I'm pretty out there. And I, I think for people who are in the design space, there can be this sense that you're that the designer is the strategist and that they've got the techniques and they often do. I, I just think it's nice to explore different techniques and to see strategy in a slightly different light where the kind of strategy that I advocate for is a strategy that's riddled with ideas, riddled with lateral thoughts, bringing things together in unexpected and novel and useful ways based on uh, enjoying a lot of the thinking of a well-known writer, Edward de Bono, who made popular the idea of lateral thinking a long time ago, probably 50 years ago. And so I think the main shift with uh, with designers into the kind of work that I like to do is to embrace more of an organizing idea and, and more of a lateral thought, an unexpected lateral thought as an, as an organizing idea. Because most, most good designers, they are looking at the world and what's going on and trying to understand how people are using things to try to improve the experience of those things. It's just that sometimes that kind of thinking, and I spent about 10 years around user experience and making websites, but sometimes that kind of thinking is relatively linear and literal, but that's good. Uh, what I advocate for though is just adding a little bit more of the, I guess, absurd or unexpected into, into the mix and providing practical tools to help someone explore that. Right, great. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate that. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, Eric. So this is it for today's episode and make sure to go and check out Mark's website and follow him on social media. You can find all the links on this episode's page at evigdesign.com slash podcast slash 13. So thanks for tuning in and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my podcast for more tips on branding, strategy and design. This was Arek Dvorniczak from Evig Design.